Last week, we went through kind of a detailed look at Pentecost in the Old Testament. Today, I want to go back to Acts chapter 2 today and go from there. Since, And I won't be going back over um, right now. I won't be doing much in regards to updating the information that I talked about last week, but carrying on from last week through today. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and find Ephesians chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 13 through 15. But Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to ask you to just stand where you are, and if you would bow your head, we're going to pray for the word, messenger. Open our hearts, Lord. Speak to us. Guide us. Direct us. Bless us. Help us to be obedient. Touch a servant. May the word of God, Lord, flow freely. Lord, what you have prepared, we pray that you will help us to carry it out in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse number 1. Murders, it is good to see, here, see you here. Hope you got enough oxygen to last for, next, for a few hours here. Okay, okay. all right. Want to keep Sister Florence and the family in prayer. We contacted her sister Florida. Florida, her sister, has lost three children in the last few years, I believe it is. And so let's continue to lift the family up in prayer. Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. And fill the house where they were sitting. Verse 3. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire and separated, that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Eliamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. Ephesians 1, 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory? 
For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. Let me go back and read that again. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, it says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. And I'll stop there. And continuing with the title, Preparing to Do the Work I Was Called to to Do, Part 5. Preparing to Do the Work I Was Called to Do, do, Part 5. On the day of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came. The purpose of the Holy Spirit coming was to empower the church to carry out the great commission that Christ had told them to carry out. The coming of the Holy Spirit was to proclaim Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the King and the Lord of Lords. The coming of the Holy Spirit was to give God's people the power and ability to obey His Word and stand bold on the Word of God. The coming of the Holy Spirit was to confirm what Jesus had already told his disciples and his followers. The coming of the Holy Spirit was not to make people shake nor fall down on the ground. I know I'm going to step on some toes during this series. The Holy Spirit was not given to cause people to be slain in the Spirit or fall down as evidence that they had been touched by God. Today, there is such a misapplication of why the Holy Spirit came. Everyone who accepts Christ does not speak in tongues. Tongues are not the evidence that a person has been filled by the Holy Spirit, but it may be an evidence. The Holy Spirit comes to reside in a person's life when they have accepted the Lord as Savior. The first point I want to address today, and the point if you're writing it down, is the Holy Spirit came upon those who were in obedience to Jesus. We're going to be looking at the first coming of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be looking at this chapter today and taking a look at how he came, why he came, and what happened. We're going to be discussing And I'll be taking maybe a few questions at the end. But we want to take a look at why would God send his Holy Spirit at this time? Fifty days after Jesus rose from the dead and ten days after he ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit came. Did you get that? Fifty days after Jesus rose from the dead and ten days after he ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit came. All right, we've got to deal with that later. That was last week. I got, I got to move on. Where do the 50 days come in? <laughs> and you know what? It's going to be on the website. I, I, got, I got to record it, and it's going to be on the website. <laughs> the Holy Spirit being given was not for everyone in Jerusalem, but only for those who had put their trust in Jesus Christ and who were with his disciples at that time. When the day of Pentecost, the Bible says, came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound 
like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. Notice that his coming was sudden and was not known just when he was going to come. But obedience to his word resulted in everyone in that upper room being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. There's God the Father. There's God the Son. There's God the Holy Spirit, a Holy Ghost, as some may say. One God who reveals himself in three persons. God has always been, has always existed. God is eternal. We were not eternal. We're not, we're eternal now, but the, I want to make a distinction, and I said this before, when you look at being eternal, to be eternal means that you have no beginning and you have no end. We can look at our lives and we can see that at a point in time we began. We had a start. Our start gets its history from the time that Adam and Eve is bo are born, or not born, but are, are created. We can trace our beginning there. God does not have a beginning. He has always been. And when Jesus Christ came to earth, he took on human flesh. He left heaven, the second person of the Trinity, and came to earth to pay the penalty for our sins. When he walked this earth, he told his disciples that I'm going, to re I'm going to die one day and return, but I'm going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. What Christ had been telling him he was going to do, he does in the book here of Acts chapter 2 that we're now reading. The promised Holy Spirit, and he told his disciples, now stay there in Jerusalem until you have been endued or endowed or you have been given the Holy Spirit. Because you won't be effective in your ministry if you don't wait for the Holy Spirit. There are sometimes people who want to begin their, their, their ministry as soon as they get saved and say, the Lord has blessed me, I just got to go. And they have not yet received the power nor the instruction that they need in order to be effective. And so the great start happens, great zeal, but not always with great knowledge and not with the wisdom of the Lord. Yes. We'll hold questions to the end. I will take some time at the end to ask questions. Write them down if you have them, but I will take questions at the end. The Holy Spirit came upon man and woman alike. The Lord is no respecter of person. In that upper room were women. Everyone in the upper room was filled. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, from which we get terms such as pneumatic, pneumatic drills, according to R.C. Sproul. It, it, it is pneumatic are air-driven machines. They're called pneumatic. The Greek is where we get the word pneuma. We get the Greek word pneuma. The Greek word for spirit not only means pneuma, but also means wind and breath. And you think of this when God says that in the garden that he breathed into the nostrils of Adam the breath of life. 
One of the problems that Jehovah Witnesses make is that when they consider the breath of God, they say that the breath of God is a force, which is correct in terms, but not only so. God's breath, God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, brings life. Man did not become a living soul until God breathed his spirit into the nostrils of man or into the life of Adam. Man became a living soul after God's spirit. And so one of the things that becomes an issue is that they say that God, the Holy Spirit, can't be God because God is a force. The Holy Spirit, rather, is a force. No, the Holy Spirit has personality. And as we go through the study, when we hit chapter 5, we will see that. Another Greek word to describe the work of God's Spirit is called dunamis. Dunamis means power. When the Holy Spirit came, he came with power. We get the word dynamite from the word dunamis. Y'all remember good times? J.J.? Oh, we're using the phrase dynamite. <laughs> a little bit different, but we get that word dynamite. When you think of dynamite, one thinks of power. They use power, dynamite, oftentimes to implode buildings, to bring them down within themselves. And so when you think of the, the, the Spirit of God, the, the dunamis of God in the Old Testament, the the Spirit of God in the Hebrew, and I may, I can't pronounce this right, Michelle can, is, is Ruha, and then Ru, Ruha, I can't, I can't say it, but, but that's what it is. <laughs> Ru, is it Ruha? Ruach. Ruach. Like you're, like you're, okay, like you're hacking. That word also means spirit, and in the Old Testament is what the God breathes his Ruha. Into, into Adam. When the Holy Spirit came, he came suddenly, he came with power, and he came in such a force and with such authority that the people that were there came running, and those who could walk in, strong, however they got there, to see what had taken place. It was the sound that they heard. Now, in Jerusalem, at this time during Pentecost, was one of the feasts that the people had to be, well, it was one of the three of the seven feasts, three of them required the males to be in Jerusalem. And, of course, they would, more than likely they were married, would have their families there. Jerusalem was busting with people at this time. The Passover, which had just occurred 50 days, a little more than a month before, a month and a half before, People were still in Jerusalem from there because those who had lived far away would not have gone back home. They said, well, we have to be here. We're just going to stay in Jerusalem since we have to be here for the first fruits, the first harvest of, of which, which um, Pentecost means, first fruits, first harvest. Uh, we would have to be there anyway. And so many of them stayed. Others who didn't live, live as far away would come back. But the city of Jerusalem was filled with people. And the Holy Spirit, the Lord says that to the disciples, stay there until. And the first thing that you note, as we were reading, 
is that suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind. I hear that when the wind is howling up to 100 miles an hour, it sounds like a locomotive. Can you imagine Oklahoma was not hit once majorly, but twice recently with storms? It could pick up a tractor trailer with no ease as just as and twirl it around. Houses being blown apart. Just from the force of the wind. And this wind of the Lord that came, there was no doubt. What is this? And I can imagine that people were beginning to panic and say, what in the world is happening? As the sound is heard. The sound of a rushing mighty wind, and it came suddenly. I, and and as, as I was studying that, one, one of the thoughts come to mind, and that is when the Lord says, be ready. Be, be ready, for you know not the day when the Lord comes. He comes suddenly, and I think the coming of the Holy Spirit in this way is an indication of what the Lord is speaking about when he says, be ready. For you don't know the day nor the hour. You won't even have time to be getting ready at that point. You need to be ready. I've had my friends and some people that I know tell me, I'm going to get ready one day. I still got some, some wild oats to sow. I still got some things I want to do. And the Lord is going to just cramp my style if I come to him now. And so I'm going to wait, even though you don't know your destiny. And so the Lord says to them, or says to us, be ready. And so he suddenly comes, and they hear the sound. Then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. In the Old Testament, one of the theophanies of God. Can anyone tell me what theophany means besides Brother Small? What is a theophany? That is true. God revealing himself in what way? Huh? Not just. It could be. It's the appearance of God, the manifestation of God in a different form. What example did I use? The burning bush when Moses went to Mount Sinai on the backside of the desert. That was an, a theophany. When the Lord led them out of Egypt and there was a cloud and the fire, uh, the pillar of fire of the cloud, the pillar of fire, and then in the cloud, and then the cloud at night. So fire in the cloud, and then at night there was, well, pillar fire is the same thing. But there was fire that kept them warm, cloud. But that cloud is called the theophany because it's the manifestation of God in a different form. When the Lord shows himself to his people, he comes in a form Oftentimes, even using inanimate objects as a bush. How God reveals himself, you've got to be prepared to hear him, to receive him. It's not based on your own thinking or how you feel. God reveals himself to you in different ways. But I'm going to tell you this. The primary way that God reveals himself is through the word of God. Before they had the Bible, the Lord often came to them directly or in a form and spoke to them. 
his prophets, his leaders. But the Lord shows himself through the word of God. So if you're not in the word of God, what are you seeing? What, what, are, you, what are you hearing? And so when a person says, the Lord is speaking to me, and you haven't picked up your Bible? Mm. I question what you're hearing. A lot of people have, a lot of times, things that they're saying the Lord said to them, and it's not lining up with the word of God. God will say things that confirm what's already in his word. So you must be in the word of God. Because the disciples and those that were with them heard God, Jesus say, stay there until I send the Holy Spirit. They heard God and they listened and therefore they, they were the beneficiaries of what he had to offer. Point two, the first tongues given was a known language. When studying the scriptures, it can be fascinating to see the introduction of something new that is taking place. When you go back to the original, it can expose the radical changes that some people apply to scripture. When you look at the original of when God looks or when God brings something to focus, we need to go back and see how was it first introduced. There can be a lot of twists and variations that happens oftentimes down the road. But if you go back to the original, it can be very enlightening. And when you look at the coming of the Holy Spirit, he came in a form and he came in a tongue that was known to other people, but they didn't know. When you look at the word tongues, oftentimes people will place so much emphasis on the expression of tongues that they miss the message. The main focus of the covenant of the Holy Spirit in the form of tongues was the proclamation of the gospel. In other words, they were telling these people the good news about Jesus Christ in a language that they had not learned. It was not gibberish, but the language was an understandable language that caused a great commotion. Many of those that were in Jerusalem, as I said, were there observing Pentecost. The Lord sent his Holy Spirit at a time with many nationalities and all types of people were packed into the city. When many people were there, it was a place and a time when there were thousands of people and many different languages. And when the Holy Spirit came and came to those in that upper room, the Bible says people came and they heard the word of God being proclaimed in a language that they know the Galileans had not learned. It was their native language. And it blew them away. They're saying, what is this we're hearing? We are hearing these people proclaim the word of God. You see this list that, 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 that they gave? All these languages? That's the language that they were hearing. I'm, so, I'm saying the Holy Spirit, probably perfect dialect and everything. We hear them proclaiming the word of God. Today, people think that in order to have the evidence of the Holy Spirit, one must speak in tongues. In Corinthians, it says that's not the case. There are people that 
long for a particular gift. But I want you to notice something that oftentimes is overlooked. The Bible says in what we just read that they spoke as the Spirit enabled them. It was the Holy Spirit that was enabling them to proclaim the original coming of the Holy Spirit in this form. Because there were appearances of the Holy Spirit even in the Old Testament. But the full manifestation on the day of Pentecost of when he came, that was known and there was no mistake. It was fully known. There was no mistake. He came speaking to the disciples and those there in a language that proclaimed Christ. Remember, the Holy Spirit points people to Jesus Christ. His coming was to confirm what the Lord had already been doing and had done and told his disciples. And now he's going to empower them to be able to carry it out. That's what the Lord does in our life. That is one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit. It is to help us to live in obedience to God's word. When they heard them speaking, they said, what is going on here? We've got Arabs. We got Jews and Cretans. We got people from Cappadocia. We got all these different nationalities. And we know these people are Galileans. How then can they do this? And when we began to look later on, it says Peter gives one of the first, he gives the first sermon after the coming of the Holy Spirit that led to 3,000 being saved. When people are not led by the Spirit of God, they will misinterpret what the Lord is doing. There can be a misinterpretation when one is not led by the Spirit of God as happened in verse 13 of our text that I did not read. The question that they asked was, what does this mean? At the end of 12, what does this mean? In the Old Testament, Genesis, when the people were building the Tower of Babel, they thought, you know, we're going to build our own tower to God. We're going to make our own way to him. We're going to set up the rules. We're going to set up the regulations. And we're going to reach God on our own terms. We're going to tell God what he can and can't do. We're going to instruct God in the things that he should do and shouldn't do. We're going to inform God how he should allow things to grow and not grow. We're going to reach to God on our own terms. And God looked down and said, I got a plan. I'm simply going to confuse their language. I'm going to make it so that they just can't understand one another. And that they do what I told them to do, to disperse and go throughout the world. Because what they were trying to do was make a place right there that they all could congregate to and stay at and not do what the Lord says. Fill the whole earth. And so the Lord sent languages. And so the person that had a hammer they may pass him a hammer and do the brother. <laughs> Did you hear that? Muck whoop. What? 
Guy down the road says, I heard that. Another guy says something else. And the Bible says that they left off building that place and were scattered. Now, do you want to know where we get our languages from? Back at the Tower of Babel. The Lord did it. The Lord does not have a problem communicating in a different language. And when you look at the Tower of Babel and the confusing and the language being changed, some of those same languages you can imagine are here at Pentecost. And the Lord allowed for the proclamation of the gospel through the languages of those who are obedient to his word. The Holy Spirit's coming was to show forth God's power in such a dramatic way that there was no doubt that God was the one who did it. When God does something, it's interesting to note that God does it in such a way to where you have to say, that's no one but God. You get to your last verse, you say, I don't see how much further down I can even go. I've reached the end of my rope, my rope and road, and then you go down a little bit further. Then you say, I can't go any further. Then you go down a little bit further. You say, if, if one more thing happens, then you go down a little bit further. <laughs> to where you cannot see yourself out. And you just say, I give up. And the Lord says, come on up. Ooh, look at I just had a little miracle. Lord, thank you. Oh, thank you. Come on up a little more. And the Lord begins to raise you with the appreciation that it was him who did it. Not you. Not yourself. Not your smarts. It's him. And we need to understand that God says he will not share his glory with another. He will get all the glory for himself. And when the Holy Spirit came, it was all him. No one else. He gets the glory. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. He can be grieved. Grieved. He can be sorrow. He can be hurt. He can. You can pain him. And it happens all the time when people says, "I can do it myself." It pains him because he knows you can't. All those people that were there, the different nationalities, the different groups, with the coming of the Holy Spirit on that first day, brought in a new vision and look that God was accepting no longer just the Jews, but the salvation that now goes through the, was going through the Jewish nation, through the disciples, now was available, and the Holy Spirit to every person, come everybody, everyone is included. The Holy Spirit is what's been said, I know my father said, the intelligentsia, intelligentsia of heaven. And when you think of how intelligent the Holy Spirit is, he can tell you where you lost your keys. Lord, I can't find my keys. Oh, oh, where are my keys? 
And my wife has it so bad, I sometimes don't even like it when she says it. Have you prayed? No, I ain't prayed. I'm looking for my key. Prayed. Okay. Lord, would you help me find my keys? I know where my keys are. I was thinking, oh my goodness. All the time. I'm thinking, and she constantly said, and it's happened over and over again. <laughs> Have you prayed? Have you prayed? And the Holy Spirit will let you know. Because he wants to be involved in every aspect of your life. Every aspect of your life. As I close, I'm going to take a few questions. This one. But I want to give a few minutes today. Then we're going to pray. I, I just want to ask this first. I want you to think about it as I take a few questions. That is, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you, to minister to you? As the Holy Spirit spoke through those individuals, the disciples and those in an upper room, they made themselves available to him. If they weren't there, they would not receive the Holy Spirit. I don't believe it was for those in the place that were meeting, honoring, and worshiping God. It wasn't those at the temple, the religious leaders who hated him. It, were those, it was the people that set themselves apart to listen and to obey God's word. I'm going to say this again. When you don't place yourself in a study during the week, you at times will miss what God is doing. Saying, I don't understand. Saying that, oh, I'll get a sin. I'm, if you can be there, the Lord at times will do something in that meeting because the saints are gathered and the Spirit of God is there. I've seen it happen over and over again. I've seen it happen. And then when you hear those say, I was there, oh, what happened? You should have been there. That's what I've heard. <laughs> There's something that happens that God does at times when his people gathers. That's for those that gather. And let me say this as I take questions. During the time of that 40-day prayer that we had years ago, there was something that God did for those that were in attendance, especially for those that were there. There is a blessing from obedience to God that God can only do. Questions that you have, and they're going to end. R-U-A-H. D-U-N-A-M-I-S. D-U-N-A-M-I-S. Mary Jean, I'll see you. The Lord, works through the, the Lord came through the Jewish nation in order to, to, uh, to work through them in order that the world might be saved. In other words, he came through the nation, not because they were better than anyone, not because they, were any, they, they had done something special, but he chose them as his people in order to save the world. So he used them in order to save the entire world, to bring the message. Christ came through the Jewish nation. And that's one reason today why there's such a hatred oftentimes. Because it's a spiritual element involved in it as well. The enemy is fighting against God's people. And so the enemy hates the Jewish nation because of who Christ is. He hates people in general, but there is 
an attack because of the Lord's special favor that has been upon their lives, I believe. So it's not only physical, it's spiritual. Yeah, very much so. Yes. N not always the third person of the Trinity. Um, there are times, for example, when we believe the second person of the Trinity came, which is Christ. Now remember, it's one God who reveals himself in three, in, in three persons. One of those times is when Abraham, when the Lord was going to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Bible says that three men approached Abraham came walking. It is believed that that second person was Jesus Christ at that particular time, a pre-incarnation of Christ, so that the Lord came at that time, and he was one of the, th or the, of the three, the other two angels, one of the three that came. They believe that was Christ at that time. Okay. All right. There's another one in the New Testament before the Holy Spirit came um, in Acts, and that's when John the Baptist was born when Mary came and she said the babe leaped in her womb and from the very beginning that baby was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Okay. That all the miracles right. The Holy Spirit when we look at when we look at Christ, when Christ was on the earth, he could be at one place at one time. When he came on the day of Pentecost it's interesting that he came in the form of cloven tongues. And it's interesting when you think of tongues because you think of languages. Right. And so so he came in that form, and think about this. He filled all 120 that were in that upper room, meaning that his ministry was not limited to only one person or one place at one time. He could affect everyone. This is what we say his dispensation. So when people try to bypass the Holy Spirit to get to God, they can't because you have to be... You have to understand, the Holy Spirit was given to point people to Christ, so you're right. It is the Holy Spirit who is working through us, it is the Holy Spirit that is pointing people to God through Jesus Christ, right? They all work in concert, but it's the Holy Spirit on the earth. Yes, I saw a hand over here. Kenny. Okay. In, most, in many houses in Palestine or many houses in Jerusalem, many of them had what was an upper room, a place that they would go to have meals. So almost or many houses there had what was called an upper room. It was common. Like back east. A lot of places back there got basements. That's just like another part, just a general part of the makeup. But the upper room was a place of a house that was oftentimes set aside for larger gatherings. I see, Leticia, let's see you here, Bridget. Have I ever spoken tongues, and do I understand it? I have never spoken in tongues while I've been awake. I might have done it while I was asleep. I don't know. But I've never done, I've never spoken in tongues. I've had a person try to make me speak in tongues, and I resisted. In my spirit. The speaking of tongues is a gift of God that the Lord gives, but everyone does not have the gift. So when you think of speaking in tongues, it is an act. When you think of teaching and prophecy, tongues is on the bottom rung. The actual speaking of tongues is not up there with prophecy and preaching and teaching. Absolutely not, unless the Lord gave me the Lord gave me the interpretation. You see, remember this: there are movements today that focuses on tongues. That may be fine, but the the issue is, is the tongues been exalted to the place where the message is not being heard? Any time that tongues were spoken, and Paul had to deal with this with the Corinthians because they were a very gifted church. And they were speaking in tongues, but it was out of order. 
and there was no interpretation. In other words, the body was not benefiting. If a person spoke in tongues, the entire body needed to be able to benefit. So he says in our private devotion, yes, we can. But when we gather together, there must be interpretation. If it is spoken out and everything ceases. The way that it is, is that if a person was to begin speaking in tongues, everything generally is supposed to stop. And here, what's the message? If there is no interpretation, that person is considered to be out of order. Because there must be a message for the body. Okay, hold on a second. Okay. The Lord had even done that when, even when he was with the disciples, when he sent them out two by two, the 70. And so he had already given them authority. When the Holy Spirit came, oh my goodness, absolutely. They had the authority because what it did, it confirmed the work that Christ had already done. Remember, the miracles, everything that happened to God, that God is, is, has done, it is to point people to the Lord. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the message. It is to prepare people's hearts to hear the word of God. So it is an evidence of showing God's power. Here and then here, yes. You're not trying to trick the devil now by speaking the tongue. You're not trying to trick the devil by speaking the tongue. No, no, that has nothing to do with it. So the question is, well, what's, what's the function of the reason for the speaking of tongues? Is it to, so that the devil does, does not be able, so you, if you're communicating with God, how do you keep the devil from being able to hear or influence or, you know, you know, prevent your praise, whatever it may be happening? How do you keep him from being able to bother, attack you, whatever it may be? In one's own devotion and private devotion, even time in the church, but one's devotion, Paul said, you know, I wish that everyone spoke in tongues. Because he did it himself. He spoke in tongues. But there was a context. He says, I do it in my devotion. Because one does not oftentimes know what is being said. It's one, what was called one's heavenly language. Sinners at times would speak in tongues. The language or, or tongues. People go to school to learn how to speak in tongues at times. I think one of the things that we've got to remember is that it is a gift that God gives. And it's for the express purpose of being able to honor and to worship God in such a way that you are in the presence of God, and at times God may give a person the ability to be able to do that. And it's fine and free as long as they are saved. It is for the believer. It doesn't make a person more spiritual in that particular sense, but it can enhance one's worship of God and the Lord use a person freely. All right? So tongues, remember, remember this. Tongues is a, is a gift of God. It is used to edify the body of Christ, but it's used also to edify one's personal devotion to the Lord. I'm going to take a couple more questions and I have to end. I saw your hand first. Yes, Leo. We, I'm going to take just three questions, but we've got to come to an end for today. Yes. No, all of them were saved. Those that came to see what was happening, all of they were not saved. No, not all of them. No. Many of them came, and we're going to be addressing that. When the, remember this. When the preaching of the gospel occurred, that's what made the change. They came because of what they heard, and then they were receptive because of what was spoken. It was the word of God that convicted. That's when they got saved. The sound of that rushing mighty wind and the language of the Lord being proclaimed, and then they heard the message from Peter that we're going to get to later. Right. There are times when the Lord, when it speaks of a person offering, having moans and groans that are uninterpreted, that the Lord takes our worship and praise. Things that sometimes when we have even moans that we can't even express, that he can take that and make it presentable. 
The reason I wanted to caution is because there are people at times who can speak in tongues and a person will think that they're saved. I've heard it and seen it happen here and want to make a distinction that the actual speaking, that there has to be a relationship with the Lord in regards to, okay, when speaking. And so there are times when a person, like I said, in their devotion to God, that the Lord at times will just begin to move and will do a work. It is a gift that the Lord gives and everyone, Paul says, I wish everyone could do it. But it does not mean that a person is not saved who does not. Okay, we have to, one second, one second. As compared to telling your sin. Yeah, thank you. One of the things, one of the things we end today, I think one of the, one of the, one of the important things to remember is that when we read God's word and things that, because sometimes things, some things in the Bible are hard to understand, even even Paul, even I think it was Peter said, sometimes Paul writes some things that are sometimes hard to understand. Um, and when Paul was even, and so one of the apostles mentioned that. But he also then qualified there were some people who was directly distorting what he was saying as well. So when you look at the word of God, it rely, you must rely upon the Holy Spirit for guidance for also wisdom and interpretation. There's something I read that, look, what in the world does that mean? And so God gives spiritual discernment. And so there are times when there may be things that's just not clear, and it may not be clear, totally clear until we get to heaven. But I do need to say this, is that as we go through this, the, the teaching of this first part of Acts, that the Holy Spirit's job was to empower them. Because remember this, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, many of the apostles would not have been martyrs. They were willing to die for their faith. Because of the empowering of the Holy Spirit that allowed them to remain faithful and true to the word of God. The coming of the Holy Spirit was to point people to Jesus. It was to bring salvation. It was to help people, rather, I should say, receive what Christ had already done. He died and he rose again. The fact of the matter, he testified that the Christ that was dead, rose again, is now at the right hand of God, and he's the one, he's the one to be honored and praised. Amen. He confirms that. Amen. That's his job. Let's stand, please. Women, you will be um, asked to just stay for a few minutes. Men, if you have not given, please see Brother George. Today, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you, I want to put this to the challenge. I want to put you to, I want to challenge you. And that is, I want you to read Acts chapter 2, all of Acts 2 this week. I want you to study that because we're going to be coming back to that next week, beginning with Peter's message. And I know it's probably I'm going I'm to stay right there. And I'm going to ask you to really delve into the word of God. If you, if you have something that you're reading, that's fine, but I want you to include Acts 2. And I want you to pursue the word of God as never before. We're going to be continuing with Second Kings on Wednesday and uh, picking up where we left off. Today, Lord, we thank you for the love of Christ. We pray that you will bless us as we leave this place. May the Spirit of God go with us, lead us, guide us, and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.